Thank you. I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 9. We'll be there in just a few moments. There'll be three uh, key passages of Scripture that we'll be walking through tonight. We'll be all over the Bible. Genesis to Acts. Also back to 1 Samuel. We'll be there together. And so you can uh, put your finger in each of those places if you'd like. Before we dive into uh, the teaching of God's Word tonight, I, I just felt impressed to just uh, brag on the Lord and, and the amazement of what He does in His preached Word. You ever think about what, what God has done in the calling of His preached Word? I don't mean just like for preachers to think about it. You know, we're all involved in, in this art of preaching that when His Word is proclaimed, we hear it, we take it in. And, and what should be taking place when His Word is taught, when His Word is preached, is His Spirit brings it to life again. When we gather like this, we're not just hearing a speech or a talk or, or some kind of a, 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 a three-point, I don't know, pleasantry. We are allowing God Almighty to speak to us. Now, now that gets me excited. I, I don't know uh, what, what it is in me, but I, I cannot get away from every single time. If there's one, or if there's ten, or if there's a thousand, or if there's ten thousand people, God's Word proclaimed is important to us. So I'm not trying to ramp you up because of this particular talk, or this particular lesson, or this particular sermon. I'm trying to say, if you and I... Submit to what God wants to do tonight. He's going to do the miracle of preaching again. He's going to do the miracle of, of speaking to you in a tongue that you can understand. That I have no idea what God's saying to you. One of my favorite things in, in preaching and teaching is when someone comes up to me and they're so excited they can tell me that, Pastor, this was just for me. And sometimes they say, how did you know? And I want to look at them and say, I didn't. I have no idea. I mean, sometimes I can remember or relate to what it is that they're sharing, and I, I can glory in what it is that God is doing in their life. But most of the time, I just listen and smile and say, there it is again, God. You are doing your work through the preached word, through the taught word. So that's what we're after. So I encourage you. Uh, don't just press in and listen just because it's me or because it's someone else or because it's your favorite preacher on the radio, but, but let's allow God to speak to us. We started a series last night entitled Authority, God's Covering for My Life. And I tried to share it with you that this is not going to be like the easiest or most like pleasing series to hear, but it's going to be helpful for us. This goes so countercultural. This is so opposite. It would sell like no books. <laughs> it would be like getting no likes on Facebook. I mean, this is not what our society wants. But this is what God teaches all throughout His Word. And I believe the, the fruit of His teaching, our culture is craving. Our church must be craving. You and I must be craving this. So just by way of review, just to refresh our memory, we had a lot of life in the last seven days. And so let's look back to what God has been teaching us. Authority, God's covering for my life. Last week we began in this series and we saw this subject affects every single person. In every area of your life. All throughout your life. That's pretty all-encompassing. So it's worthy of our attention, not just tonight... 
but over the next number of weeks. And so as we quickly review, first, last week we saw that sooner or later, God will teach you His authority. Everyone. Sooner or later, everybody will learn the authority of God. You may not choose to learn it on earth. Someone else may not choose to learn it here. But every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that He is Lord at some point. Whether they believe or not, it will take place. Now, the sooner that we submit to his authority, the better off that we are. And we saw last week that the, the, the best plan, God's first plan to learn this authority is in the home. And there's a lot to be said about that. There would be a whole sermon on, on the power of the home and teaching us God's authority. But with the shape of the home, in and out of the church, sometimes people refuse to learn or they're not able to learn the authority of God in the home. And so we have to learn in other places as well. But eventually, everyone must face the fact of authority. Second, we observed that until you and I come to see God's authority, not only His direct authority, but His delegated authority over our life as a blessing rather than a burden, we won't see His purpose in our life. By that I mean, it's, it's somewhat easier to say, okay, God, I, I can... I can stomach you being in charge because you're God, but then when you delegate authority to someone else in my life, they don't look or act like God. And I have a harder time submitting to their authority, but yet we observe that God has delegated authority over our life. It's a blessing, not a burden. And if until we get that, we won't see the purpose in our life. We've learned that there's two principles in, in this universe. Last week we saw that God's authority and satanic rebellion. Either it's submitting to his authority or it's rejecting his authority, which is in Satan's realm. Sometimes that's overt, sometimes that's subtle, but it's just as deadly. And because of that, we learn these two essential decisions in the universe. To trust in God and to obey and cooperate with Him. Now, that's super important because utterly sinful nature calls us to rebel against God. And in and of ourselves, we can't do that. But because of what Jesus has done for us, we can trust and obey Him. And it opens up all these things about authority in our life. It's the best news that we can ever hear, that when we trust Him and obey, it's a covering over us in our life. As I said before, we can appreciate God's direct authority. Most of us can appreciate that. Sometimes we wrestle with it, but sometimes it's harder to choose on God's dele- excuse me, choose to accept God's delegated authority in our life. But there's a blessing there. It's not a burden. It's meant to bless you and to bless me. It teaches us obedience in our life. The Bible clearly teaches that God has established both of these authorities. From God's standpoint, when I resent, when I reject, when I don't submit to God's delegated authority in my life, I rebel against God Himself. Now these are pieces that our culture says, ooh, I don't, I don't know, I don't like that. Now we can live with that as long as God's delegated authority here on earth doesn't mess up, right? But they're human. They deal with the same fallen nature that you and I have, and so they will blow it. They will fail. And at this point, we need to see our obedience and submission to their authority as a test to follow God, not just that person. We must forget, we must not forget that God has given this to us as a gift. So, here's what I want us to catch. God places you and me under authority so that we can learn obedience. That's a little bit of review. So tonight, we're going to look briefly at these three principles from the Bible to help us understand how to obey God even when authority fails. A big 
scratch or itch in our mind from last week should be, okay, God's direct authority, his delegated authority, but what do you do when there is somebody over you that is clearly not following God? I surely shouldn't submit to that authority. What do I do when that person is anything but a godly example? What do we do when authority fails in the home, in the community, in the church, in the school system, in our government? What do we do when authority fails? Turning your Bible to Genesis chapter 9, and this first principle that we need to learn in God's authority, we can see rooted here in this passage of Scripture. And number one in your outline is this. We're going to see in this Scripture... That we are to cover those in authority. We'll talk about what that means and what it doesn't mean in just a moment. Genesis chapter 9 verse 20. Uh, I'm reading from the message paraphrase to help us catch this in context. We're not looking at every tiny word, but we're seeing the broad picture of this paraphrase. So you look in your translation there in front of you. Most likely you may not have the, the message, but let's press in together on this real life account. Noah, a farmer was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank from its wine and got drunk and passed out, naked in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and told his two brothers who were outside the tent, Shem and Japheth. And Shem and Japheth took a cloak, held it between them and from their shoulders, walked backward and covered their father's nakedness, keeping their faces turned away so they did not see their father's exposed body. Well, what a strange passage of Scripture. What is it that we are to learn from this? Noah, being the delegated authority over his family, had now been making some poor choices and now found himself in a position that was not preferable. It was not what God had intended for him. He had gotten drunk, he had laid naked and exposed in his tent, and in doing so, he failed his family. Ham, his son, came to see his father, found him in this state, and Ham had a choice. To expose his father or to cover his father. And from this context we begin to see when he saw his father's sinful conduct, his response was not one of sorrow. Nor did he try to cover his father's fault. Instead he went and he told his brother, exposing his father's ugliness and exposing this hidden rebellion in Ham's own heart. His brothers, on the other hand, responded with an attitude of submission, respect, for the authority. And immediately they took steps to cover their father. The response runs counter to the prevailing pattern of our culture and our world today. See, around us, when authority fails us today, we are quick, quick to expose them. Oftentimes, before the facts are even in place, there's accusations and attempts to expose leadership of all kinds. We begin to see that all it takes is an accusation for a leader's integrity to automatically be called into question. I believe at the, the root of this, there is a rebellion, a desire to expose others and their problem, their fault. And it's a rebellion against any kind of authority in our life. Need I make the application for us today? You just watch the news. As soon as there is any little hope of, of blowing someone out of the water, they run with it like crazy. Young people will choose to look for any fault in their parents as a time to say, Hey, look at you, Dad. Look at you, Mom. Students 
I, I want to tell you, your parents are not perfect. They will fail you. When you find that your mom or your dad at any age has failed you, are you quick to expose them, to call them on the carpet, to bring judgment, or do you have any desire to pray covering over them? Is there any desire to still respect them in their fallen state? They will fail you from time to time, but what is your attitude, my attitude, when they do? If we are quick to judge and to expose and to to get even, it is revealing a seed of rebellion in our own heart. It's no different in the workplace. When you find that your boss has blown it, what's your first response? I knew it. She had no business being in that position. He had no business there. Maybe he'll get called on the carpet and I'll get a promotion. Is it, is it the, the quickest thought to say, let's just let them get what's coming to them and push them out and move on? Or is there any desire to have any respect for the delegated authority God has given to us in our life? Is it this, I could have told you so response? Or is there a, there a humbleness in your heart? Notice the effect Ham's failure to cover his father had on his family as well as the blessing it brought to Shem and Japheth. As they covered their father. Cursed be Canaan. In Genesis chapter 9, 25-27. Cursed be Canaan. A slave of slaves. A slave to his brothers. Blessed be God, the God of Shem. But Canaan shall be his slave. God prosper Japheth. Living spaciously in the tents of Shem. But Canaan shall be his slave. The principle of covering those in authority applies to all delegated authority. From your house to the White House. Now let me emphasize. Don't miss this. This is key. This will aggravate you all week long if you don't catch this part. There is a difference, a big difference between covering those in authority and condoning sin. There's a big difference. It's not the same thing. We are called to cover those in authority. We cover them in prayer. We cover them with respect. We cover them with appropriate submission to them. But it's different than condoning sin. We should never condone or just kind of wink at the sin in our lives or in the lives of others. But neither are we to be quick to judge those in authority over us. That's God's job. To cover those in authority, simply it absolves us of the judgment that we are trying to get them back and saying, God, would you deal with them in your righteous right hand? All things will come out. The Lord will set things right in His time. And it's not a call to cover up sin. It's not a call to sweep things under the rug. But it's a call to cover those in authority over you. When authority fails, be quick to cover them, to pray for them, to support them any way that you possibly can. Not cover up their sin, not try to wink and nod and say it's no big deal, but to say I am going to still choose to do what I can when possible to submit to the delegated authority of God in my life. That's not just to bless them. Friend, this is to bless you. This is authority, God's covering for your life. When you and I are underneath the authority that God has given to us, it is a blessing to us, not a burden. Now, that statement is what will not sell books. That statement is what will, if there was still the unlike button on Facebook, would just ramp up with unlikes. 
Oh, I don't need to fall underneath anybody's authority. We are a people, a nation who love to be independent. And there's some good things in that. We love to, to do things on our own. I don't need anybody. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I have no reliance on anyone else. I am self-sufficient. That is applauded. That is awarded in our society. But yet Jesus says, I didn't create you to live that way. I created you to submit to me. And if I can teach you authority and all of its forms, and teach you to trust and to obey, it will bless you because that's how I feed you. John, 40, John 4, 34, Jesus says, My food, my nourishment, is to do the will of the Father. Jesus himself, submitting to the will of the Father, feeds his soul. Well, when you and I come underneath authority, we are being obedient to God, not just to a person. We are being obedient to God, and he is feeding us in our attitude of submission to him. If something seems strange in that, hang with me. We'll, we'll press through together. Now let's turn to Acts chapter 4 and 5 in the New Testament. We'll observe a second principle of what to do when authority fails us. We will cover those in authority when they fail. Not cover them up, but we will cover them with our prayer and as much support as we possibly can. But second, what must we do when authority fails us? We'll see in this passage of Scripture, we are to obey God's higher Authority. There comes time, if you haven't found it yet, it will happen, that you and I are to obey God's higher authority in our life when God's delegated authority fails. Acts chapter 4, verse 18 through 20. Again, reading from the message, they called them back and warned them that they were no, no account ever again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus They said, you can never speak about Jesus again. But Peter and John spoke right back to them. Whether it's right in God's eyes to listen to you rather than to God, you decide that. As for us, there's no question. We have to obey God. We can't keep quiet about what we have seen and heard. Get this. The the Sanhedrin was telling them, you must shut up about Jesus. And they said, hey, hey, you decide whether it's right to obey you or God. but, But we We have to obey God. We cannot disobey God so we can obey you. This is a classic example of God's delegated authority conflicting with God's direct authority. When this happens, we must, not may, we must obey God's higher authority. Now, now catch this. This is not us coming out from underneath authority. It's staying underneath the ultimate authority. So in every arena, every area, every season of my life and of your life, we are to be underneath the covering of authority. God is our ultimate authority. And so when authority fails around us, we must make sure we are still underneath God's direct authority in our life. Now, this is very different than the situational ethics that's so prevalent today. There's a thought today that says, whatever I think is right for me, is right for me. It may not be right for you, but it's right for me. So therefore, for me to submit to authority, well, we'll just have to see if it's right for me. It may be right for Brent, but it may not be right for me. It may be okay for Jim, but, but it may not be fine for Jim. <laughs> that's good. Um, next week, we're going to have all the gyms sit in one row. That would be awesome. I don't know why, but sorry, that's a rabbit trail. My brain just went there. ADD kicked in. But when we submit to God's authority, it's a blessing to us in every area of our life. And it's not this culture who says, well, maybe that's okay for you, Brady, but it's not the way it works best for me. This is God's principle, his universal law. It's God's authority and it's Satan's rebellion, satanic rebellion. Those are the two options that work in this arena in our life. 
the prevailing relativism in our culture has rejected any and almost all moral absolutes. And doing so has allowed all kinds of rebellion and anarchy to come flooding into our lives. Here's the problem with this relativistic thinking. It's not just that it breeds things that are not true, though that's a problem. It breeds rebellion. It breeds you and me being our own God. It breeds you and I saying, well, what's right for me is what's best. Remember in the Old Testament? Those who did what was right in their own eyes as opposed to what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's what's going on here. That's why we, we see authority as God's blessing, His covering for our life. God, I want to do what's right in your eyes. I don't know why all the aspects of why God set up his direct and delegated authority, but he's given us this covering. It teaches us here on earth how to obey in the blessings of trusting and obeying in him. The action of Peter and John is very different from this relativistic culture. They're not swayed by a situation. They don't press against the Sanhedrin because they just don't feel like doing it. No, They're not swayed by the situation. They're compelled to disobey this delegated authority in order to obey their higher authority. There are many examples of this principle of the higher authority at work in the Bible and in our human experience. For example, Rahab lied to spare the lives of the Israel spies in Jericho. And consequently, she was placed in the Bible's Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11 for her heroism. She displayed her delegated, excuse me, she disobeyed her delegated authority when it conflicted with God's higher authority. She said, I'm going to stay under authority, but I must obey God rather than man. I'm going to do what he's calling me to do. We see this in our culture, relativistically contemporary culture, not so much in my lifetime, but we see it in our history books during the Nazi Genocide in World War II, Cory Ten Boom lied to save the lives of Jews that she had hidden in her home. God honored her obedience to his higher law in the face of a corrupt authority. But it wasn't thumbing her nose at the government. It wasn't trying to just do her own thing because she disagreed. She said, I must obey what God is calling me to do. Watchman Nee makes an important distinction between submission and obedience in his book, entitled Spiritual Authority. It's a great book. Here's a quote from Watchman Nee. When delegated authority, that means men who represent God's authority in in any area of our life, and God's direct authority, that's God himself, when they are in conflict, one can render submission, but not obedience to delegated authority. You can submit to delegated authority even while you are disobeying them. We see this in, in Peter and John. He spells out the difference between obedient conduct and a submissive spirit. So in rapid fire, I'm going to give you these real fast. They'll be up on the screen here, and I'll try to give you time to jot it down. But Watchman Nee flushes this out in his book on this. He says, obedience is related to conduct, and that's relative. And so this obedience relating to the conduct, it's relative. But submission is related to a heart attitude, and it's absolute. I will absolutely have a heart of submission everywhere that I possibly can so God can bless me in being under the covering of authority. But I will obey relative to what it is I am being asked to do. Not in what's right in my own eyes, but what's right in God's eyes. Second, Watchman Nee takes us and he says, God alone deserves unqualified obedience. Now here could be an aha moment for some of us who go, I don't know, Brady. 
I love you, but this just seems weird. But, but listen to this. There's nobody in your life that deserves unqualified, blind obedience other than God Himself. God is the only one who deserves unqualified obedience. But just because that is true, it doesn't mean that then now we throw away all delegated authority in our life. No, 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 no. Delegated authority deserves qualified obedience. Qualified by what? If I feel like it. Nope. If I agree with the decision. Nope. If I think it's the best plan of attack. Nope. If it is not in direct conflict with what God is asking you to do. Why? God teaches us the blessing of feeding on Him in obedience in all these arenas in our life. Why in the world would God say, children, obey your parents? In my house, we had to eat lima beans. (laughs) Why? I've such learned later that there is ways to be uh, nutritious and not eat lima beans. God has brought all kinds of freedom in our home, in the Weishart home, in, in eating right, and we don't eat lima beans. I don't. They're nasty. If you like lima beans, I'll pray for you. You're weird. It's just gross. But when, when mom said, eat the lima beans, come on, what's the deal? It's not about the lima beans. It's about submitting to the authority in my life and learning that if I only obey when I think it's best, I'm not obeying that authority figure in my life. I'm obeying myself. We can see this play out. We go, well, that kind of somewhat makes sense. If I only obey the police when I think there should be a speed limit, well, well, then am I obeying the speed limit or am I obeying my speed limit? If I only follow the instructions of my boss, of my employer, if I only follow the instructions of, of the government that's been elected over me, only when I agree with it, then really what's happening is I am the one who takes every authority in my life. Now, here's the problem. This is not a negative thing. This is a positive thing. What you do and what I do when we live that way is we give up the blessing of obedience. We give up the food of obedience. Watchman Nee number three says, or maybe C, I think up here, we should submit to delegated authority from God. We should disobey the order that offends God. When do we go against the delegated authority in our life? When that order offends God. Not me, not you, not my opinion. Now notice how this principle is at work here in Acts with Peter and John. They disobeyed the Sanhedrin's command to shut up about talking about Jesus. That's a harsh word. I know that doesn't sound very nice, but that's what they said. Don't ever speak about it again. Shut your mouth. Don't talk about it. And here's what happened. They said, I, I, I can't do that. Yet they still demonstrated an attitude of submission by not resisting the consequences of their disobedience. They ended up in jail. I'm going to talk about Jesus. They went to jail. They knew there was consequences, but they would rather obey God than man. They disobeyed, but they did it for the right reasons with a submissive spirit. I should only disobey delegated authority when it requires me to do something immoral or unbiblical. But even then... I must have and you must have an attitude of submission and it will pave the way for God to use even that authority figure in my life's failure to bring glory to Him. Finally, when authority fails, I must respect 
God's anointed authority. That's the third point in your outline. Respect God's anointed authority. I'm going to cover them. I'm going to obey God's higher authority. And I'm going to respect God's anointed authority. This principle is illustrated beautifully in the relationship between David and King Saul. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24. Let me set the scene. Last week we talked briefly about King Saul and his disobedience to God's direct command to destroy the Amalekites. God's stinging rebuke came to him through the prophet of Samuel in chapter 15. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you, O king. In this next chapter, we read that Samuel anoints David as the future king of Israel. What follows are many exploits of this young warrior, David, including this successful bout with a big Philistine named Goliath. As a result, the people began to cheer and shout, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Popularity was shifting to David, and Saul gets jealous. He gets insanely jealous, and he seeks to kill David. And in chapter 24, we find David and his his band of people with him, his exiles, hiding away in the mountains with Saul and several thousand fighting men in pursuit of him. Saul had failed God and God's people miserably. And now he was driven by an evil spirit of jealousy to destroy the next appointed king of Israel. But observe how David continues to respect God's anointed in spite of his failure. Look with me at 1 Samuel 24, 1-7. I'll be reading from the message again to kind of get the whole picture. But if you're going to study word for word, your translation is a better tool to use. Now, take note of what happens. Then David stood at the mouth of the cave and called to Saul, My master, my king. Notice the respect that David has for his failing king. Saul looked back. David fell to his knees and bowed in reverence. He called out, Why do you listen to those who say, David is out to get you? This very day, with your very own eyes, you have seen that just now in the cave, God put you in my hands. My men wanted wanted me to kill you, but I wouldn't do it. I told them that I won't lift a finger against my master. He's God's anointed. Now, I need to talk to you about something here. There's There's a lot of misquoting of the scripture. I think that's brought some abuse in the church of Jesus Christ. Sometimes there have been spiritual leaders, there have been pastors who have said, hey, don't touch God's anointed. Back off! Now, if we're really going to live that out, (laughs) we need to understand, whenever someone is claiming that for themselves, they're claiming to be Saul. I don't really want to be in the company of Saul. Saul was the failing leader. Now, the principle is true Whether man or woman is living right before God or failing in the sight of God, you and I, those who are in authority over us, we should honor and respect God's anointing in their life, not because they're so amazing, but because we are respecting God. So some of us have been wounded by this passage of Scripture, and we may be rightfully so ruffle up and go, wait a minute, Uh, who who are you to say you're God's anointed? Don't get all upset about God's authority structure. Just recognize what this is saying. It is not blind, unquestioning obedience to those over in your life. When someone calls you to do something that is unbiblical or immoral, you have to say, I've got to obey God rather than you. I'm going to do it as respectfully as I can, but I've got to disobey. But here, this is a perfect example of what it means to respect God's anointed even when they are failing. Even though they had every justification, even though he had every justification, David, to kill Saul in self-defense, David continued to respect 
God's anointing and God's authority on Saul. Later in chapter 6, we read that David had yet another opportunity to kill Saul and take the throne, but to do so would be stepping outside of God's plan and would bring the same curse of Saul upon himself. Now jot this down. Whenever you or I take matters into our own hands to usurp an authority that has failed me, I bring the curse of rebellion upon myself. This is much like the principle of forgiveness. When I don't forgive someone, I'm not hurting them, I'm hurting myself. When I don't have a submissive authority, I'm not hurting them as much as I am hurting myself and coming out from underneath the covering that God has given to you and to me. We could all learn a lesson from this young leader, David. He would rather delay his own rightful ascension to the throne of Israel than become a rebellious person. It's that seeds of rebellion that David is fleeing from. It's not because he says, oh Saul, you are so perfect, or I'm going to do every single thing you say blindly. No, he's saying, I would rather follow God than allow the seeds of rebellion to come into my own life. David learned authority in his heart. Scripture calls him a man after God's own heart. Those who have studied David, we know he doesn't get everything perfect all the time, but we begin to see that he understands this authority. Although constantly threatened by Saul, he submitted himself to God's authority. This is an important distinction to have when authority will fail you. Not if, they will fail you. You don't have this in your handout, but maybe it warrants writing in the margins. Submitting to authority is not being submissive to a person, but rather a God-given position. This helps me. I believe it can help you. Maybe there's just someone in your life that they just aggravate you. Everybody like that? You're called to love them, but you sure don't like them very much. They aggravate you. They have some kind of authority somewhere. Submit to the God-given position. And then my attitude of submission is to, to the Lord, not to that person. It changes my heart. See what God is doing? He's helping me live a life under the covering, under the umbrella of His authority. You see the difference? Saul had disobeyed God's commandment and there was operating under a satanic rebellion. That, however, was between Saul and God. David's responsibility was before God and it was to continue to respect the subject of the Lord's appointed leader. I think it's safe to conclude that David proved that he respected and valued God's authority more than even his own desire, even his own life. In closing, I ask, How much do you value God's authority in your life? Do you only submit as long as you agree with it? Friend, I think we need to redefine. Submission does not mean doing something when you agree. That's called you're in agreement. Submission means, Lord, even when I don't see it, even when it is scary, I follow you. Without question. The only person you and I are safe to follow blindly is the Lord. But as we follow the Lord, He's given us delegated authority in our life to bless us, not to curse us. And when we receive that blessing, we will be far better off. In summary, when authority fails us, God asks us to do these three things. To cover those in authority when they fail. Cover them with your prayer. Cover them with as much support as you can. Not cover up their sin. It's not to sweep it under the rug and that, no, no, no. And there is often, not always, but often checks and balances in our 
authority systems and there are places to do that. doesn't mean you never ever bring something to light. But, but when I am bringing something to light, am I doing it out of submission and respect to the Lord? Or am I doing it out of a, ha ha, I gotcha. Don't miss out on the blessing of God's covering of authority by allowing the seeds of rebellion to take root in our heart. Second, when there arises an unavoidable conflict between God's delegated authority and His direct authority, remember, you and I must obey Him. For some of us, that's where we're stuck tonight. There's a situation when an employer has asked you to do something you just know is is wrong. You don't need to go in and just be on your high horse and tell them what for in as much humble submission as you can say yeah i I just i don't feel like i can do this i I want to to be submissive to what you're saying but this is what i've got to do i've got to operate with this amount of integrity i've got to be this honest i can't withhold this information i've got to share these things god will bless it when we honor him above any other delegated authority third always respect god's anointed authority Don't allow this to be a continual misquote of wounding of those wielding power and and blind control over others. And don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and miss the blessing. When you respect God's anointed authority, He is teaching you and me the blessing of obedience. The quilt that I put on last week. Tape. Trust and obey. When I trust and obey God's direct authority and His delegated authority, it is a protection and covering, a feeding of my soul of what obedience looks like. It's the training ground. It's the training wheels of what it means to obey God. I first learned that bad things happen if I don't eat lima beans before I learned that bad things happen if I don't obey God. I learned when family, friends, leaders in the church, in the community have failed. That when I did the right thing the wrong way, I was just as wrong as them. God has to humble me and say, Brady, I'm calling you to do the right thing the right way. Heavenly Father, I thank you.